Welcome to Long Story Short. Each week, we sit down with different guests to discuss issues important to the campus community at the University of Utah. This week, we are discussing local elections in the state of Utah. As voters head to the polls on November 8th, there are many choices facing them. While the political media discusses national issues and paints elections as divisive battles between the blue team and the red team, the reality is that the politics that affects voters the most is the politics closest to home. Hey guys, we're interviewing Dr. Dave Bueller. Dr. Dave Bueller is the Regents Professor at the University of Utah. He teaches courses on American politics in the Masters of Public Administration program. He served as Utah's 8th Commissioner of Higher Education from 2012 to 2019. Previously, he served for nearly 12 years as Associate Commissioner for Public Affairs with responsibility for government and media relations. Bueller taught as an adjunct professor of political science at the U from 1990 to 2006 and was a member of the University of Utah Board of Trustees from 99 to 2000. Dr. Bueller served 12 years as an elected official, including two terms as a member of the Salt Lake City Council and one term as a Utah State Senator. He served eight years in state government, including four years as executive director of the Utah Department of Commerce and as a member of the staff of Governor Norman H. Bangerder. A native of Salt Lake City, Bueller received Bachelor of Science degrees in political science and history from the U, a Master of Public Administration degree from BYU, and a PhD in political science at the U. So starting off, tell us a little bit about yourself. You mentioned you've had a wide range of roles, an epic career, I might say, <laughs> yeah. uh, within the Utah political scene, um, you know, from yeah, Salt Lake City Council to Utah State Senate, and most recently, the Commissioner of Higher Education. So tell us more about these roles you've held and some of the things you've learned from them. Yeah, well, thanks, Talmadge. As you were going through that list, I thought, man, I'm feeling old here. <laughs> I have a lot of former titles, former this, former that. But I've had just a really a great career, and I got involved in politics as a very young man, volunteered on campaigns and those sorts of things, and then uh, uh, worked on the staff, actually, of Senator Hatch, mm. and then worked for uh, Governor Bangader on his camp first campaign, and then on his staff. And so it's just sort of like one thing has led to another. And eventually, I decided maybe I should run for office. Yeah. And so I took a try at that, had some uh, fun times uh, running and serving at the state and, and uh, local level. And then, of course, one of my great loves always has been higher education and the U of U. And so it's so exciting at this point in my career, a few years ago, to be able to, uh, to come to the U full time and teach. And, uh, you know, right now I'm really excited about the courses I'm teaching uh, this semester, but looking forward also to my spring courses which will be uh, interest groups, mm. how uh, lobbyists and interest groups affect uh, policy in the United States, and then a fairly new course that I'm teaching on Utah politics. So I'll put in a little plug for those. Great. Yeah, I might be interested in taking yeah. those. That sounds awesome. It'd be great to have you on either of those. Great. So we're having some really intense elections right now in Utah. Mm. Um, let's just start with the most hotly debated race here. Um, which is the U.S. Senate race between McMullen and Mike Lee. So what are your thoughts on Evan McMullen's chances and how will this race shape the future of Utah politics and races throughout the country, regardless of the outcome? Yeah, well, that is the hot race and it's being noticed a lot nationally. Right. Um, if, if McMullen is able to pull this off, it will send shockwaves, I think, in some ways through politics in America because uh, the whole country... And for good reason, has just looked at Utah for so long as just a, like the reddest of the red state or a very reliable red state. Mm. And to uh, take out a, um, you know, if, if he's able to do this, take out an incumbent uh, Republican senator. But then to, the way he's doing it as an independent, uh, not accepting any PAC money himself, uh, relying totally on individual donations, and, uh, you know, his vow to try to to kind of shake up how politics works in Washington. 
And so uh, it's it, it seems to be a very close race. I think so much of it will depend on turnout. Right. And so particularly with students, because um, traditionally, the younger you are, you know, down to 18 voting age, the less likely you are to vote. And those my age group, 65 plus, are the most likely to vote. And so uh, I really hope students will get out and vote, whoever they're voting for. We need people here at the U of going out and voting. Exactly. Saying, and right? we have, if people haven't received a mail-in ballot or if they lost it or something, uh, we are so fortunate that we, for those who, students who live in Salt Lake County, we have a polling site right here on campus in the Marriott Library. So, so on go Tuesday, to the Marriott go Library. Vote. Yeah, go vote for whoever you're voting for. It could awesome. really make a difference because these also these midterms tend to be lower turnout. So I think how this race is decided will really depend on who shows up. Right. And do you think McMullen has a chance if enough oh, people show up? I definitely do think he has a chance. And that it's a very, you know, this is the most competitive U.S. Senate race since 1976. I'm probably the only one who will listen to this who remembers the 1976 <laughs> election in Utah. But it was when uh, Orrin Hatch, who was a newcomer, yeah. uh, never had held office before, took on a three-term senator, uh, Frank Moss, and beat him. And so that's the last time we've had a really competitive uh, U.S. Senate race in the general election. So exciting. 46 years ago, Yeah, right? Yeah, okay, a cool. long time ago. So another interesting race to watch is the Salt Lake County clerk election. It's been a while since we've seen such a hotly contested county clerk's race here in Salt Lake County with longtime incumbent Sherry Swenson retiring. So why does this race matter? Well, this really does matter a lot. And uh, we've seen in the aftermath of the 2020 election with those who uh, have uh, really undermined confidence in our elections by claiming uh, fraud when no evidence has been presented of any uh, significant fraud anywhere in the country. Um, we've learned how these uh, election officials uh, at the local level around the United States, as well as at the state level, either, you know, often secretaries of state or in Utah, the lieutenant governor, yeah. are really important to just have a fair uh, counting of the votes and with no monkey business. Just, uh, you know, administering the elections in a totally fair way. And so uh, one of uh, uh, Clerk Swenson's deputies is running on the Democratic side. And then there is a, a very, uh, you know, uh, interesting candidate on the Republican side who seems to be kind of caught up in this uh, uh, voting was a fraud. Uh, and so uh, that is a that is a kind of a sleeper race. Usually you don't get that excited about voting for county clerk, to be honest. Right. But it really is an important race to have people that can fairly administer our elections so that voters can have confidence. in. Yeah. And I think that's, you know, election security is one of those issues that gets talked about at a really yeah. high level some right. of the time. Like, who is the president going to be that will decide this? Right. But really, it's these local level elections, such as county clerk, that this could really make a difference for, right? With yeah. Democrat Lanny Chapman and then Republican Gowd Maragani um, going against each other, it just seems like it could be really um, shake things up, regardless, you know, if Gowd Maragani on the Republican side yeah. won. Well, it could. And, you know, often these, uh, these races, kind of sometimes we call them down ballot races, are undervoted. What I mean by that is people will vote at the top of the ticket. And then they'll kind of look down the ballot and say, well, I don't really know about any of these, so I'm just not going to vote. Right. And so, again, your vote almost is magnified because there won't be as many people voting in these races, typically. And so they are really, really important. So are there any other local races that you're interested to see play out as Utahns head to the polls next week? Yeah, well, I think another one that could be a little bit of a sleeper in Salt Lake County, and then I'll mention one in uh, Davis County, is for the uh, Salt Lake County Council. We have three at-large seats where these people represent over a million people, and yet it's not a very high visibility race. And so we have an incumbent, Richard Snellgrove, who's been there for two terms. They also have six-year terms, which is unusual. Mm. So he's been there for 12 years, and he is being challenged by uh, Representative Suzanne Harrison, who is uh, an MD, has been a state legislator for a, a little while, on the Democratic side, and uh, she is giving him a real race. 
And so it'll be very interesting. And Salt Lake's becoming a little more of a swing county, right. too. So I think that's another race to watch to see see what happens there. So your vote really matters, especially, you know, on some of the th- out, out, <laughs> let me say lower yeah. than the high, the highest, yeah. Um, yeah. the highest yeah. vote. I mean, it's important to vote on U.S. Senate for Congress, but then don't forget those that are down the ballot because they right. also can make a big difference. Right. Okay. So I want to talk about um, State Senator Gene Davis and the scandal that we've seen in Utah. So Gene Davis was recently removed from all committee assignments at the state legislature and has also been suspended from the Utah and Salt Lake County Democratic parties due to the sexual harassment allegations. He was defeated in a primary election this summer by fellow Democrat Nate uh, Bluenin. Uh, what is the significance of this action taken by the local Democratic Party as well as the state legislature? Is there more that could have been done and more that can be done in the future to prevent similar abuses of power from taking place? Well, it's really a sad thing because... Um you know, the University of Utah sends a lot of interns to the legislature, as do other universities around the state. And the interns really become um, the staff to legislators. And um, it's, it's, uh, and it's, a, it's an, an experience I'd encourage students to do if they, if they have the opportunity to, you know, if they have time in their schedule to do that, to check with the Hinckley Institute of Politics, which is such a great resource for getting involved in politics. But uh, it's really important that um, interns, whether young men or young women, if they uh, are experiencing any kind of uh, inappropriate activity, that they report it. And I admire those who have reported uh, things that happened to them that were not, you know, were not on the up and up. And uh, I noted that uh, Senator Davis did announce that he was going to be stepping down in December, although his term actually ends by January anyway, because yeah. he's, he lost his uh, primary race. Right. But, um, you know, I hope that this doesn't discourage students from being interns, because this is really an anomaly. This does not happen often, but when it happens, it's it's too much. You know, even if it was just one time, it's too much, and it's probably more than one time. Yeah. So the biggest thing here is just make sure you report these yes. things when they happen. Yeah, and that you don't need to be subjected to anything that makes you, you know, personally uncomfortable that is, uh, you know, even bordering on sexual harassment. And I talked to uh, Morgan Lyon Cotty, who oversees the intern program at the Hinckley Institute of Politics, and she said, oh, we, tr- we train the interns, you know, to, uh, you know, on these topics, which I was really glad to Good. hear. Good. So this is mostly an anomaly. We still I think encourage. it's an anomaly, but, yeah. uh, you know, even one time's too, too much. Right. Good. Okay. So talking about students from the U, I think something that's been on a lot of our minds is tuition and how that just keeps getting higher and higher, right? President Biden just is getting his student loan forgiveness plans going. Um, But a lot of GOP governors aren't happy about that. Um, Our governor, Spencer Cox, has proposed an across the board tuition freeze for this upcoming legislative session. Is this the best way to keep the cost of tuition under control? Or what more do you think we can do at the legislative level to lower tuition here? Well, I appreciate you bringing that up, Talmadge, because that's an issue I dealt with a lot as commissioner of higher education. For seven years, we worked really hard to try to keep tuition as as reasonable as we could. What really affects the, uh, the, the tuition levels at state universities and colleges like the U is how much state support they have. And uh, the actual cost of higher ed has been pretty flat over a number of years. As you look at the total cost to educate people, but um, the difference has been in the mix of who pays for it. So, for example, when I came here to the U as a young undergraduate in the mid 70s, the state paid like 75 percent of the cost and tuition covered 25 percent over the past decade or so or even longer that's kind of gradually shifted towards where it's more 50-50. Wow. And so really, you know, so the money has to come from somewhere. Right. It's really what it comes down to. And so the best way to control tuition costs is for the state to to put it. And, and Utah has been, you know, comparatively generous. We're not, uh, you know, even though we're at 50-50, some states like Vermont, the last time I looked at it was like 90-10. 
90% tuition, 10% state support. Wow. So thank goodness we're a long way from that. <laughs> right, yeah. But if you look at the state uh, institutions, state universities that have high tuition, you can see a definite correlation with how much does their state contribute. So I would just urge uh, the legislature to continue to support higher education as much as they can. And the more that they can support higher ed, the less uh, the Board of Higher Ed, when I was there, it was called the Board of Regents, will have to rely on tuition increases. So I'm wondering how Utah does keep tuition so low regarding, you know, Vermont, it's more of a 90-10 ratio. Yes. Utah, it's more of a 50-50 where right. the state is paying for half of it. How do we do this and can we afford to help more? Well, it really depends on uh, the commitment of our, our legislature and governor. And Utah has been fortunate that our, you know, over time, our legislature and governor have been quite supportive of higher education. And that is really what keeps our tuition lower than like, I think we're like, the U is like the lowest or second lowest of Pac-12. Yes, that's right. For example. And it really is a credit to our elected officials. They don't get a lot of credit for that. Yeah. But it really is. But, um, you know, so hopefully they'll just be able to continue that and where they can. You know, tax revenues seem to be up quite a bit. Hopefully they can even support more. So if you were um, trying to keep uh, have no tuition increase this year, what that means is that uh, unless, um, you know, if, if you're going to keep everything the same, not like cut back on the number of faculty or something like that that would hurt higher education, what the legislature needs to do is to put in even a little extra for higher ed so that they don't have to rely on tuition to uh, cover the costs. Well, hopefully this... Increased tuition. Right. I mean, they'll still rely on tuition, but increased tuition. Well, hopefully this comes up in the legislative sessions, right? I'm um, sure it will. I mean, yeah. I'm glad that the governor is raising the issue of keeping tuition low, and uh, I'm sure that the Board of Higher Ed is going to be, and the, the Commissioner of Higher Education and the President's all going to be very focused on this during the upcoming session. That's good to hear as a student. Okay. Um, well, I'm curious, are there any other issues that you're interested in seeing in this legislative session? Well, um, that, you know, clearly there's some major environmental issues with the Great Salt Lake. Yeah. And so I think that has to continue to be, and I know it is a priority for for the governor, for legislative leaders and so forth, but, but looking at... Um, how you know? How do we solve this problem so that lake doesn't just dry up and blow away? Mm. It's so interesting to me because early in my career, when I worked for Governor Bangor, we were facing like record high lake levels. Wow! We had some very wet seasons. They had to like actually sandbag I eighty in Tooele County wow. for the to Great keep Salt the Lake. lake from, wow! From, you know, and at one point there was. Uh, so much water in the median on I-80. Somebody drove into the median and drowned. What? The airport was threatened. I'll talk about all this in my Utah politics class. Oh, please go. Plug. Awesome. Yes. And so like, you know, 35 years ago, we had the opposite problem. Interesting. And okay. who would have thought then that we did, you know, the lake would be drying up. But for a lot of reasons, mostly climate. Uh, and then we need to look at, well, how much water are we diverting from getting into the lake? I think that's going to continue to be a really, really big issue for the state. And I'm glad that our state leaders are, are focused on that, that we've, we've sort of learned we can't just take for granted that we always have this lake out there. Yeah, right. Well, especially because a lot of the dust under the water could be very toxic, right, right if it blows right. over. So it seems like we're getting a lot of um, bipartisan support for Great Salt yes, Lake um, so. for saving it, really. Oh, could I mention one other election that I think is going to be really yes, interesting? Yes, please do. In Davis County, in the Layton area, we have Representative Steve Handy, who was defeated in the state convention, and he did not uh, go the signature route to be able to go to the primary ballot without the convention. So you had about 69 people who uh, basically kicked out of office a sitting state representative. So he is running a very vigorous write-in campaign and write-in wow. campaigns usually aren't successful, Yeah, but it'll be interesting to see if that one is. Interesting. And that's in Davis County. Yeah, in Davis County, in the Layton area. It's an important one. Yeah, it is an important one. He's been a really solid legislator, and um, 
I think that the person who got the nomination, I don't actually even know his name. Trevor but, Lee. Oh, Trevor Lee. Okay, thank you. Yeah, but he's, you know, kind of a fringe, you know, very, very, very conservative yeah. candidate. And, uh, but again, I think this, this just shows why it's so important that now we do have a another route to get people on the ballot so voters can decide rather than just convention delegates. And I've been a convention delegate a number of times, but um, the broader you can make the pool, the more representative it is. Yeah, right. So write in ballots. Those can make right. a difference sometimes. Yeah, yeah, in that race, it'll make a huge difference. Yeah. So we'll see what happens. Right. Cool. Well, are there any other races, any other issues you're interested in for well, this next and session? I think just nationally, we'll you know, be very interesting to see. Uh, you know, uh, typically, uh, the first election after a president is elected, the president's party loses. Yeah. And it, it looks like it's going to be a tough year for Democrats nationally. And there are like six U.S. Senate seats that are really close. And of course, the Senate's a 50-50 balance. Yeah. And so, you know, I'm watching in uh, Arizona, Colorado, Georgia has gotten a lot of attention, Nevada, Pennsylvania also has gotten a lot of attention, but also Wisconsin, as well as the race in Utah we spoke about. It looks like in the House, probably a very good likelihood the Republicans will take the House. The question right. will be how big a margin. So, but with the Senate, it seems like the Democrats could keep control. They could keep control. They're just these really close races. Yeah. So it's going to be fascinating to see. Yeah. And I think the interesting thing with the Utah Senate race is if McMullen were to win, he's an independent. So that could give Utah more power in it, some it, ways. It totally could. So let's say that it, it turns out to be, uh, you know, 50 to 49 with McMullen the deciding vote. You know, that gets really interesting. Yeah. And just in listening to some of the, you know, the things that he has said, that he really sees himself being part of uh, a coalition, including our our other senator, Mitt Romney, who, while a, a Republican, um, is, is one who works with people on the other side of the aisle. Right. You know, he was very key in the infrastructure bill and so forth. And so, and there's some a few others, uh, Senator Murkowski, certainly Senator Manchin, you know, Senator Collins, there's kind of a, a group of maybe six to 10 U.S. senators who are kind of focused on solving problems, less on party politics. Right. And I think McMullen would be a key part of. So, yeah. And there's kind of two really ways. Fascinating. There's right. And there's two kind of two ways to go if you don't really agree with some of the bills that the Democrats are mm -hmm. proposing, you can say, oh, I'm just going to totally sit this out, not vote for it. Mm -hmm. Right. I don't agree with anything in it. Or you could say, I'll vote for it, but you need to sneak in a few of these things for my state, right? Yeah, right, right. And, uh, you know, it's easy to just say no and to bash the other side. But um, what we need in politics, and, you know, one of the, the presidents when I was a, a young guy was Ronald Reagan, who was a conservative Republican, but he was also a very practical uh, politician in the sense that uh, he would always rather get half a loaf than go home with no loaf. Right, yeah. You know, that if you can't get the whole loaf of bread, get what you can. And yeah. And then, you know, you live to fight another day. And I think that's when politics works best for people. Live to fight another day. Love that. Yeah. So we got intense local elections, intense national elections. Please go vote. Um, I have one more question for you. You're the you are the former a former commissioner of higher education for the state of Utah. What are you most proud of from your time serving in that role? Well, I one of the things that I am proud of is we really uh, changed our focus a little bit to be more on how do we encourage college completion. That we have far too many students who come to college for various reasons. Life gets in the way. They don't finish. And um, they get some benefit from some college, no degree. But the real benefit, particularly economically, is to walk out with a degree, whether it's you know, uh, an actual degree or at like the Salt Lake Community College, a certificate, a, yeah. you know, for some skill. Uh, that's what really counts. And we still have a long way to go there, but I think we made progress there. I also had a, a really interesting time in that when I was there, I helped the Board of Regents uh, select 10 presidents of our eight institutions. So wow. two of the institutions, we did it twice in yeah. the seven years. But uh, it's been fun to see these presidents who were selected during my time, you know, the good things that they have done. Wow. 
Love it. Well, thank you so much for talking with me, Dr. Bueller. It was really an honor. And um, yeah, please go check out his classes to our audience for the spring. Remind me of the names. Yeah. So interest groups. This is uh, political science 3170 and then Utah politics, which is political science 5245. Sweet. Anything else you want to plug our audience into? Go vote. Go vote. Thank you. (laughs) All right. Thanks. Hey guys, it's Talmish, and today we're interviewing Ermia Fanayan. So Ermia Fanayan is a junior student at the U, majoring in political science. She is a trans liberation and feminist political organizer whose work has included organizing around the abortion struggle, working with the ACLU to secure the rights of transgender youth in the education system, organizing to criminalize conversion therapy in the state of Utah, working on congressional electoral campaigns, and creating research studying the conditions of gender-oppressed people at the hands of state institutions. So, it is so good to have you here. Um, Starting off, could you just tell me a little bit about yourself and your work in local Utah politics? Definitely. Well, I think that um, that was a great summary of it. You know, I've engaged in so many different local struggles here. I've engaged in the trans struggle. I've engaged in um, local feminist struggles. Um, I've also worked on different electoral campaigns, including uh, Congressman Ben McAdams' electoral campaign. Um, I worked w- for uh, Bernie Sanders' electoral campaign with his local headquarters here. Cool. Um, I've on the also- 2020 election? That's right. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> and I've, um, yeah, so I've engaged in both, you know, struggles uh, as well as different uh, electoral politics as well. So Sweet. Do you have a favorite thing you've worked on? I'm currently organizing with the Party for Socialism and Liberation. And so oh, cool. that's perhaps one of my favorites as of now. Sweet. So let's just jump into some of the local issues. Um, so Utah has a transgender athlete ban that has been recently passed. Um, what's the effect of this? And do you think there's a chance this ban can be reversed in the upcoming legislative session? Or do you think that it's more likely to be reversed in court through litigation? Well, I definitely think it's going to more than likely be reversed if it is to be reversed, which I do believe it can be in the courts rather than through our legislature. Um, Our legislature has created far too many mechanisms to allow um, both the Democrats and the Republicans to um, enforce legislation at the last minute without any Mm. kind of input from the public, which is precisely what they did with this bill, as we saw Representative Berkland do and and her team. Um, And so... I do believe it can be reversed, and in fact, it should be reversed, um, but I don't believe it's going to be on behalf, you know, and on part of the legislatures. I think it's going to be because of a people's movement that's going to put pressure right. um, in different in different avenues. So, Okay. And how could a bill, um, how could this happen through the court system? Yeah, well, you know, through the court system, uh, there can definitely be uh, different uh, presidents that are sent. The court can, in fact, uh, indicate that this is something that is not lawful and, in fact, is discriminatory. They can decide that the new um, hate crime law and or the uh, yeah the hate crime law that was established a couple of years ago, um, that can serve as a mechanism to make this bill illegal. Right. Um, and if the court does decide that, that creates uh, new mechanisms for other court cases to then uh, move forward. Great. So there is a path forward, maybe not through the legislative session, but could happen through court. Where do you think there is room to work with the state legislature on LGBTQ plus related issues this upcoming session? Definitely. Well, I think that, you know, the legislature has uh, a lot of work to do. <laughs> Firstly, yeah. they have to. Uh, do everything they can to uh, ensure that a trigger law never comes into play again as reproductive health is a huge aspect of queer and trans struggles. Um, they also need to ensure that, you know, it, there is in fact a, a, a mechanism in place that uh, secures health care for, for trans people. Uh, I think that's incredibly important and is something that our state is not even close to coming to accomplish. Um, they can also ensure that bills such as HB 11 never pass or uh, come to fruition ever again. Right. I think um, they and need to. And could you remind the audience what HB 11 is? Yeah, HB 11 is a bill that um, is allows for the Utah High School Athlete Association to ban uh, young trans girls from participating um, in their uh, sports of their genders. And um, it ensures that the Utah High School Athlete Association um, basically uh, investigates 
any child, whether they are trans or not, as we've seen actually happen, um, if, if there's some paranoia ar- around them possibly being trans. <laughs> and so mm-hmm. we've seen these investigations, you know, be uh, started against uh, cis young girls who, are, who aren't even trans and right. just because parents thought they may be trans. Um, and so it creates um, a new way of, of creating uh, witch hunts against, against all young girls. So are these conversations taking place at all in the legislature? You talked about a few things, reproductive rights, HB 11. Are, they, are these things that have a chance of being passed or repealed in the case of HB 11? Yeah, well, you know, as we saw the trigger law, which for right. those who may not know what the trigger law is, it's uh, it created uh, a, a state uh, statute that would ensure uh, abortion becomes illegal if a court case, such as the Supreme Court case, uh, the Supreme uh, uh, the SCOTUS case that got overturned Roe v. Wade, if that were to happen, it would immediately become illegal here in the state of Utah, and uh, that passed back in 2020. Um, so it's already been passed. And I think that, you know, there is, in fact, um, things that our legislature can do to ensure that trigger laws and HB 11 never happens again. I think there needs to be a bill introduced that makes abortion fully legal in our state and yeah. <laughs> more so beyond our state. It needs to be fully legal um, on a national level. You know, President Biden has every uh, ability under his thumb to introduce an executive order that would secure abortion as a fundamental right, and he's completely failed to do so. Right. Okay, so I want to jump over to um, an issue that Utah has seen recently with State Senator Gene Davis. So Gene Davis has been removed from all committee assignments at the state legislature and has been suspended from the Utah and Salt Lake County Democratic parties due to results into an investigation into sexual harassment allegations. So I want to hear from you. What is the significance of this action taken by the local Democratic Party, as well as the state legislature um, regarding sexual harassment high up in the government? Is there more that could have been done or more that can be done in the future to prevent similar abuses of power from taking place? Well, I think that this decision um, was long overdue. Um, I think that the party was well aware <laughs> that Gene Davis and even those outside of Gene Davis have been uh, you know, committing such assaults against uh, right. women in, in the party. And um, the party did not act soon enough. And not only did the party not act soon enough, they are still continuously electing um, people within the party who have a history of assaulting women. You know, our current president, who is a Democrat, <laughs> has a long history of of abuse against women. Hmm. And so I wasn't aware of this. And so <laughs> our, um, you know, I, I think that uh, this is a decision from the party that's that's long overdue. And um, I don't know how sincere it is. I think they only did it because it went so public. Um, right. And I think that they should have done this a, a long, long time ago. Well, and with this specific case, too, someone had brought this up a while back. It was only the second time um, that anything really happened that he got removed, right? That's right, yeah. You know, uh, Gene Davis, stories of him have been <laughs> going around for, for a long, long time. And so... Um, it's only because it, it sparked such a reaction on social media. It's only because the post of this one young woman who worked in local politics went so right viral that the party decided to do something. And so um, it's it's to no surprise that the party did not act. I don't think anybody should uh, mistake uh, political parties as being something that are in favor of uh, um, women and other oppressed people. Um, and when I say political parties, I'm talking about the Democrats and the Republicans. Yeah. Um, but it's it's good that they removed him, and I and I hope that they uh, continue to remove. Uh, can I swear on this show? Yeah, <laughs> bastards yes. like Gene D. Davis, and so uh, I hope that that continues. Okay, so the Democratic Party, both parties could do better at like taking action as soon as they hear about something like this and launching an investigation, right? In terms of someone who has had something happen to them, whether it's sexual harassment or assault, what's the best way that they can report this? Is Because inst- this last case was on Instagram. Is social media the best way? Is there another way? Well, it seems as though right now social media is the only way. Um, and that's actually incredibly disappointing um, because our institutions, our political systems have proven not to believe survivors of, you know, such abuse. 
And so um, it seems as though, yeah, I think social media is the only way that has proven to be successful in receiving uh, justice for these people who have experienced such um, harassment and abuse. And uh, that's incredibly disappointing. There needs to, in fact, be an institutional mechanism. There, in fact, needs to be a political mechanism uh, that survivors, who, of course, are largely women, are largely queer, um, can can go to in, in order to receive some sense of justice and some sense of, um, uh, you know, uh, ousting of, of their abusers. Mm. I guess that's one of the good things about social media is that you can get attention for a cause or for something that's happened to you and in this case it kind of went viral right but but yeah hopefully there is more of an institutional level decision that says hey here's a good way to report this um yeah exactly so i want to hear about what are some other local elections that you were particularly interested in watching unfold this cycle Definitely. Well, I think that perhaps the most uh, notorious is, you know, the um, race between Lee and McMullen. And um, I think that there's a lot of interesting rhetoric that's happening around it. You know, um, McMullen has very much been propped up as this outsider who is a progressive and who can provide some kind of independent voice. Um, away from Democrats or Lee, but I think that this is far from the truth. I think that if we look at McMullen's records, um, you know, he, of course, worked for the CIA, which is, of course, an agency that has a long history of working against uh, political struggles and oppressed people. Um, He has, of course, continuously spoken against abortion and against LGBTQ rights. Hmm. Um, And so... It's really hilarious, I think, to see the Democratic Party prop this person up as a progressive and other people prop this person up as an independent when, in fact, he has had a long dedication uh, to right-wing ideology and right-wing initiatives. Do you think that what's the best strategy moving forward then as a voter? Because do you think it's better to just not vote or do you think it's better to vote for the lesser of two evils? Um, Do you think McMullen's better than Lee? What are your thoughts? Well, I think that voting is not an actual uh, revolutionary radical strategy the way that it's ever so, uh, you know, presented. I think that the reason people want us to vote so often is because they know voting doesn't actually do anything. And if it did do something, then we, in fact, would be um, in a place much better than we are now because people do continuously vote. The idea that people are lazy and don't vote is simply not true. Um, And so... I don't think that voting is the answer. I think engaging in actual organized struggles, people's struggles, is what's the answer. Um, You know, this country absolutely needs an overhaul of our political system. It absolutely needs a complete revolution of of what's been happening now, which is the only options we've been presented are the Democrats and the Republicans and maybe some spicy libertarians here and Mm. there. And this is not something that actually helps working class and oppressed people. Um, these are these are people who are presented as having uh, significant differences, but in all actuality, their differences are entirely uh, based in aesthetic and and party names and mm. which color do you vote for instead? And um, that's not what people are needing. People are needing healthcare. People are needing, um, you know, a dedication that's not so much towards the police. People are needing housing. People are needing, um, you know, an anti-imperialist uh, effort on behalf of our national government and our state government. And um, none of the candidates presented to us uh, have provided that. Okay, so I have a few questions here. Um, do you think that some of these issues you've suggested, you know, universal health care, um, affordable housing. If voting isn't the best way to accomplish these things, you were talking about like a larger revolution. I'm curious what this would look like, because in theory, this seems like it could be a really great thing. But I'm like, for the average person, what's the best way they could work towards something like what you're suggesting? Yeah, and I think this is an incredibly important question. I think um, you need, you know, those who are interested and and are wanting to work towards such an effort, um, we need to engage in organized political struggles. We also need to be a part of socialist parties that in fact do exist here in the United States. And, you know, there's often the question of, okay, how does this look like in material practice? You know, it's it seems so abstract, it seems so theoretical, but 
there are in fact ways that this can be enacted in in, in actual uh, material uh, grounded uh, work. And there is a book that's just been released on behalf of the Party for Socialism and Liberation called Socialist Reconstruction, A Better Future for the United States, which I brought here today. And the reason this book is so important is because it actually lays down what that looks like in practice. It lays down what it looks like if we were to actually enact such changes and what a, so- a socialist America would, would, would really be. Mm. Um, and so it's, it's about engaging in, in socialist parties. It's about engaging in the work of organized struggles that are happening now. It's not about <laughs> voting red versus blue. The red versus blue have not done anything for us. Um, you know, if they were to do something for us, we would have had health care. We would have had housing. We would have seen an executive order that secured abortion as a fundamental right, as a Democrat is currently in the highest office of the land. And um, none of that has happened. Do you think it's one of those? I want to check out this book. What you're saying sounds very interesting to me. Um, I'm curious if some Democrats are for what you're suggesting. You said that you worked on Bernie Sanders' campaign. Do you think what he was working towards with um, what he called democratic socialism, is that anything close to what you're saying? Do you think that through our current political system, we can make it work if we just have the support? Um, No, I don't think we can. I think this is a capitalist system that will always have uh, such deep dedication to corporations and deep dedication to billionaires and the minority. And when I say the minority, I'm talking about the 1% who are incredibly rich and are screwing the rest of us over. And so, you know, the social Democrats who are currently in the party, you know, such as uh, AOC and and uh, Bernie Sanders, you know, I think that uh, in all actuality, those are the people who are the moderates. <laughs> And Mm. America's political system for so long has been, you know, so incredibly right that these people are seen as radicals. But in all actuality, social Democrats all across the world, everywhere else, are seen as moderates. And so it's not that these people have actually supported um, people's struggles and they've actually their records have shown to, to vote against it. We've seen AOC continuously vote um, you know, in favor of of NATO's initiatives. We've seen Bernie Sanders uh, continuously, um, you know, be aligned with the Democratic Party that has done nothing for us. And so these people, um, they they um, are a good first start, I think, but they're not the end goal. There is so much more we can do beyond social Democrats. Okay, so for people who are interested in what you're saying, but they maybe don't know a lot about some of these issues and they don't know exactly how they can get involved, but they, you know, a lot of people think, hey, yes, I want more power. Um, I'm not part of the top of the 1%, but I feel like I want to get my voice heard. Are there Instagram accounts or books or films that you'd recommend for people just starting to look into this revolutionary um, idea? Yeah, well, of course, there is, you know, uh, the Party for Socialism and Liberation. You know, there is an Instagram page um, that we have. There is also um, a news outlet called Liberation News that we have that I encourage everyone to engage with. There is also a magazine called Breaking the Change, which is Breaking the the Chains, which is um, a socialist feminist magazine, which I encourage everyone to also uh, begin looking at. And, you know, you ask books, you know, I think socialist uh, reconstruction is an incredibly important starting point for anyone who is um, just barely wanting to learn about the, uh, the politics of, of, of you know, uh, socialist movements and what this would look like. Um, there is also, of course, other books. There is, uh, you know, of course, Women, Race and Class by Dr. Angela Davis. Um, there is, um, you know, the memoir that uh, Asata Shakur produced, which was incredibly uh, important because it showed us what um, infiltration and and the United States initiatives in stopping uh, revolutionary people's movements has looked like historically. And so I think these are incredibly important starting points for anyone who's who's wanting to learn learn more about this. Great. Okay. So aside from election and voting, if that's something people are for, there's a lot they can dive into for how to make a change. Um, if there's a student at the U who just is not super interested in local politics and the civic process in general, how can you convince them to to get involved? That's my last question. Well, you know, to, to those students, I would say, um, 
even if you're not interested in politics, politics will still come knocking at your door <laughs> and politics will still end up impacting your life. And there is there is no such thing as an apolitical world. Um, even if you choose to ignore it, even if you choose to not be so actively a part of it, um, it will still end up impacting your life in every way imaginable. And so it's time to get political. It's time uh, to struggle. It's time to uh, organize. Uh, this is not the time to agonize, as uh, the great Flo Kennedy said. Um, it's time to organize. And so it requires all of us. It requires a mass movement of those who have been political for decades and those who have yet to be political. Uh, all of us uh, are needing to be a part of this mass mass movement. Great. Well, thank you so much, Ramea. It was great to have you on the show. Well, thank you for having me. Hey, guys, it's Talmadge. I'm here with this awesome panel. And um, yeah, we're just going to go around, and introduce ourselves, say our pronouns and major and year in college. Um, and one issue we care about this election season. So I'm Talmadge. My pronouns are he, him. I'm an English major and a second year at the U. One issue I care about um, I want people to have faith in democracy. Um, hi, my name is Rachel. I go by she, her. I'm a communication major and I'm a junior now. Um, I think education and more inclusion is important in politics. My name is Natalie. I'm a freshman here. I use she, her pronouns. I'm a computer science major and I'm passionate about protecting the environment. My name is Connor. I'm a sophomore. I use he, him pronouns and I'm a communications major. And one issue I think is pretty important is uh, softening the political divide so there's less uh, political tension between the parties. My name is Ben. I'm a sophomore and a games major and I go by he, him pronouns. The biggest political issue that I care about is uh, environmental conservation. Great, and I'm Ben, also Ben. I'm a senior here at the U studying political science and peace and conflict studies, and I care about the environment and healthcare. Sweet. So we had two fruitful um, and very interesting interviews with uh, Dr. Bueller as well as Ermia. So I want to hear your guys' thoughts. Um, they were two very different interviews. Yeah, I thought um, Dr. Bueller gave like a good like hey, here's an overview of elections here in Utah. Right. And he was much more like, please vote. Please use the civic process that we have. You know, um, he's definitely a lot more conservative than Ermia. But um, I thought Ermia was more like, we need to organize. You know, voting is not a useful mechanism. Sort of that sort of voice. And I can see like both make valuable points around both the need to organize for the government that we want, but also that we have to work within the government that we want in order to enact change because that's how our government is set up right now, whether we like it or not. Right, yeah, Dr. Bueller seemed a lot more institutional almost, right? Like, here's what we can do this particular election season. Here are the elections to vote in, um, you know? And it seems like, in his eyes, the biggest issue is, hey, we have some... In my interview, just we talked about some people from the GOP who are causing some issues, to, right? Like Mike Lee isn't super, he doesn't have a lot of faith in democracy, right? And so there's kind of different ways we can vote for the lesser of two evils within what we have. But yeah, it, or me, I did not expect it to go where it went. It got very um, surprising with how progressive her vision is, really. Yeah, and I think it, it makes sense, given Dr. Bueller's background in politics, that he would have those kind of views um, just because, like, he has worked in that system. So, I mean, he, of course, he wants to, he supports it. And, right. Um, and, yeah, like Ermia said, um, like, there's no apolitical world. Everyone has to be involved and because politics are going to affect your life, whether you like it or not. So. Do you guys think that voting is the best way to make change within our political system based on hearing the two conversations we did? I wouldn't necessarily say it's the best way, but for me personally, I feel like if I don't even vote, that's the opportunity the government gives me. If I don't even vote, I really have no ground to stand on if I want to complain about them unless I have put in my vote. And then I also think that 
there are other things we need to do to get what we want. Agreed. Voting isn't is far from like a perfect like mechanism of creating change and we need serious changes to how we do voting and the you know parties that we allow on the ballot and um, give you know attention to we definitely need to break this duopoly of like one party or the other you know and right. we need a wider variety of interests but if you don't vote, I kind of agree with you, Natalie. Like, if we don't vote, we don't have anything to stand on. At least vote for, like, county council, you know? Like, there are races that really impact us. Like, Dr. Bueller talked about the Salt Lake County clerk's election and how important that is to um, having, you know, free and, like, open elections. Right. Voting's kind of the baseline with that kind of stuff. Something I agree with is... Uh breaking the duopoly a little bit and one method I've heard for that is a uh, ranked choice voting where you pick your best candidate mm -hmm. and then you rank number two number three um, and that way you're not just like choosing your candidate based on the party you know option a or option b and you're actually you know looking into where they stand on different policies rather than just googling them oh are they a republican are they a democrat no um you you pick your favorite and then uh, kind of rank them from the top down well, even the founders were against, I know George Washington was against the two-party system. He knew that it kind of turned into this issue, I think, over time with just getting more radical and reacting off each other or not really making much change because they're both kind of at least against the other guys, right? So yeah, I think that's something on a lot of people's minds. One thing I think could be really interesting is to get someone who's a moderate on because i feel like there's a lot of people out there who feel like hey i don't really agree with some of the stuff with the democratic party and some of the stuff with the republicans i just want someone to unite us i think mcmullen's um someone who kind of ran on that platform other people are really like hey this whole institution we have is not progressive enough progressive in the sense of helping people but yeah, I, I think just finding bridges is such a big deal. What do you guys think is the best way to like build bridges between people who just don't agree? I mean, we need candidates that like hold majoritarian positions, right? Like the majority of Americans do agree on X, Y, Z. And we need to find candidates that will like hold to those positions, you know? Like a majority of Americans agree on Medicare for all, you know, like right. if they're asked in this. And it's like well, why can't we get somebody that supports these things then, you know, if a majority of people support various things? Um, one thing I thought was interesting that Armia talked about was Evan McMullen being heralded as a progressive held up. I don't think that's true at all. Um, yeah. I was a state delegate for the Democratic Party that worked to get, I mean, I'll just full disclosure, that worked to get McMullen on the ballot over a Democrat. Pretty much all of us knew he was a conservative. Right. Like he's conservative, and I disagree with McMullen on a lot of issues. It's like, where can we build this coalition to defeat Mike Lee? You know, a progressive's yeah. not going to win in Utah, um, as unfortunate as that is. Well, and I totally agree with you, Ben. And I think that the biggest reason why I want to vote against Mike Lee is the texts he had with Trump, right, right around January sixth. Um, which seemed like some good evidence that he was working to get different state delegates and overturn elections. It seems like McMullen is at least in favor of our institutions and um, it's not regressive, right? So even though he's not, I don't, I also agree he's not super progressive or liberal and I don't think he's really branded himself that way, but I think he's probably the most moderate that Utah can get. Yeah, no, you, you Google, um, is McMullen a Democrat? The first thing that comes up is McMullen voted for President Biden in 2020 or whatever, you know, because like, um, I mean, I don't think that he's like trying to like trick people into thinking that he's like some kind of Democrat or like progressive, like he's, he's being truthful about like, yeah, I voted for Joe Biden. Um, I'm not a Democrat, like, I maybe don't agree with some Democratic views. But I mean, I think that going back to your point about how like a progressive will like almost never be um, elected in Utah is mainly just because of like how rural most of Utah is. You look at like a map of counties and voting and it's like Salt Lake City will be 
majority Democrat or whatever. Yeah. And mm-hmm. like everything else is red because of the small towns and just like that culture of conservatism in like rural America. Yeah, just different cultures, right? Yeah. We have to think about like the early pioneers, I think, and the way that like they were persecuted by the American government. And like there was a literal mm. extermination order in the state of Missouri for them. Right. And, like, yeah. Like I think there's generational trauma here that causes people to not trust the government. You know, not that we should always trust the government, but like more so than maybe is rational always, you know? Mm-hmm. So that that political culture that you talk about is really present in Utah. Totally, yeah. I mean, I really like this author, Ken Wilber, and he goes into this whole thing of Republicans are oftentimes more ethnocentric, right? Where they kind of say, hey, I want to keep it to my village and let's just stay in our bubble, right? And Democrats are more like, hey, let's kind of create more of a global village or um, a country village. So with what you were saying, Ben, with like, literal extermination orders from other states um, against the Mormon pioneers. I can see why people are like, hey, I just kind of want to stay in my bubble here, you know. I do want to ask, like, is there anything you guys didn't like about the interviews or want to look more into? Um, Any things you weren't super sure about that any of our guests said? I think Ermia talked a little bit about President Biden and um, I think her views on like abortion and everything was interesting. Um, I know that President Biden has, or she mentioned that he has failed to secure like abortion as like a right, um, even though he's a Democrat. So like, what are the parties doing for us? I mean, he has said that like in the next year he's trying to. Um, to codify he wants to, he wants Roe to codify v. Roe v. Yeah. Wade. Yeah. If, we like if democrats can keep control of the the senate and the house um so i mean it's not like it's not like the parties aren't doing anything i mean um i did agree with um what she was saying about how america is very capitalist and they want to appeal to like the corporations and the one percent because it's how like we fuel capitalism and everything i looked up the um the party for socialism and liberation a little bit um, if you google it it comes up as like a communist party in america which can be kind of scary i think for like an american to think that like there's a communist party but i mean especially for people who might have lived through the cold war right yeah yeah the party for socialism and liberation in my experience is very like they do a lot of activism i think on important topics but i think sometimes they have some extreme characters that um, permeate throughout that organization. I would push back on like her comments about President Biden because he has he does not have the power through executive order to yeah. secure abortion rights like she claimed. You know, I know and I know a lot of progressives will claim this, but like there are serious limits on executive authority in the way the United States government is set up, and we can change that if we want. You know. Like we have a process for changing the constitution, for changing how that is set up. But like right now, most of the power is vested in Congress through our elected representatives there. And if we don't, you know, pressure them to codify Roe v. Wade, then that's really where we're falling short, not because President Biden has failed to do anything. Right. I also wasn't totally sure about um, if Biden has had sexual assaults. I know there's been allegations, but in terms of Biden stuff, I'd like to look more into that. If there's substantial evidence there, maybe some of the things Ermia was saying about Biden, I'd like to look more into. I just want to capitalize on the fact that it's so important to vote. Even if you don't think it's the best way to get what you want, it is an important way that we need to make our voice be heard. Exactly. We have polling locations at the Marriott Library, throughout, you know, and then like throughout Salt Lake City. You can vote by mail. I mean, it's a little late at this point, but like for future elections, you can register to have a ballot sent to you. I mean, Utah has same day registration, too, where you can register as a voter on Election Day. Yep. So all you students out there, you can go to the Marriott Library on Election Day and register to vote. Make sure to vote. Do it. it. (laughs) Go vote. Awesome. Yeah, great. Well, thank you very much for doing this panel with me, guys, and we'll see you next time.
And that's another episode of Long Story Short. We hope that today's interviews have been informative and have motivated you to make your voice heard by casting your vote on November 8th. Please visit vote.utah.gov for more information on how and where to vote. (laughs) 